Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking system overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. Do you look at that and say, okay, there's a problem here? Or do you think that's idiosyncratic to that bank? I don't think it's idiosyncratic. My sense is all these regionals are still here on Friday, but they're half as big as they were last week. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank last week can be put down to two things. First, a management team that clearly ignored the falling value of the assets that they held. And second, the fact that the Fed was doing its best to make those assets fall even more. It's no surprise when you look at the numbers. The question is, is there anyone next? That's this week on the Debanking Economics Podcast. So two banks have hit trouble in the last week or so. Last week, it was the old familiar problem, a bank run. Uh, on both cases, Silvergate Capital and last week Silicon Valley Bank, they both had one thing in common. Many of their customers were involved in crypto and a lot of their clients were also tech startups. And that was part of the problem in a way because we've got this growing economic crisis which is being brought about by uh, rising interest rates and uh, the fears about what that's going to do to company growth. So a lot of those tech startups wanted to take money out and found that they couldn't. So good old-fashioned bank run is what happened. Uh, But, you know, this is um, part of the problem, isn't it, Steve, that they wanted to get hold of that money to stay afloat rather than keeping it in the bank. Um, but the bank doesn't have the money. So, uh, And the nub of the issue was the falling value of government bonds. I mean, the safest thing you can hold now has become immensely volatile, and the banks are paying the price for it with their life, it seems. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a classic uh, squeeze caused by the Fed itself. Let, let's not let the guilty parties get away here. We're happy to blame some Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalists too for – precipitating the run. Mm. But the true, the ultimate cause of this thing has been the Federal Reserve through quantitative easing. Because they had a stupid theory. Let's be, let's say, the Nobel Prize in economics should be called the stupid prize in economics, and then it'd be actually more honest about what actually gets gets approved. But Ben Bernanke got the stupid prize in economics last year for a model in which uh, banks don't create money, banks are intermediaries, and... Uh, and he's the person who's responsible for QE, which was the idea of QE, and you can find literal statements by Bernanke to this effect, uh, that the idea of QE was to give them excess reserves in the hope that they would lend it out. Now, that is simply fails accounting 101. Mm. And that's why it's a stupid degree. But what it also did, obviously, was uh, it uh, it reduced the price of uh, sorry, bonds. Pushed up, pushed up the price of bonds, I should because say. Because you, you know, this is the classic inverse relationship yeah. between bonds and interest rates. So part of the QE was, with the whole idea of QE is to buy bonds yeah. off, off a broad spectrum of financial institutions, not just the banks, and a broad spectrum of bonds as well, driving up the prices, which drive 
down the interest rate. So they yeah. thought the low interest rate would encourage people to invest. That was part of it. But they also thought the banks would lend out because when they when they when you, when, when the bank sells bonds to the to the uh, central bank, its mon- it's the monetary value and its physical holdings of bonds declines and its reserves rise. And they thought, oh, they're going to lend reserves. They can't lend reserves for Christ's yeah. fucking sake. Yeah. When will we get it through but their they- thick skulls that they can't do it? But that was th- and that what it did do was give them elevated asset prices because what they they couldn't lend it out uh, they, when they bought the bonds off non-bank financial institutions. But it wasn't they really shares. about lending. It wasn't exactly, but it wasn't really about lending, was it? I mean, in the case of well, Silicon it was, Valley it was Bank, it supposed to be about lending. What it caused was an asset bubble in both bonds and shop yeah. and stairs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So now we, we had a, a dual. We had a dual from the nineteen to, to twenty ten roughly through to twenty twenty. We had effectively a bull market in both bonds and shares. But now they, we're having a bear market, and with the, who caused the the got bunch who caused the bull market are the ones who are causing the bear market. Well, yeah, so it is. I mean, the central banks have certainly added to the volatility that we've been seeing. And, and look, we'll talk a bit more about this in a, in a few weeks' time about you know how, yeah. this, how this bubble has been created by central banks. Mm. But, I mean, the issue was really, wasn't it, that this, this was a bank uh, which grew very quickly. Oh, it's uh, like 80% growth in one year in terms of its uh, – yeah. yeah, that's and, huge. And yeah. then – so it had all this cash sitting yeah. in deposits in the bank yeah. and they bought a whole heap of bonds and they bought them around 1% with a yield that was about 1%. Uh, and now those yields are 4 5%, or 5%. Yeah. They've yeah. had a run on the bank. Uh, with people wanting to get cash, uh, because they were uh, a lot of them were in the tech sector. The tech mm. sector itself was was wanting to transfer, yeah. you know, because yeah. they're struggling. They wanted to get hold of, of cash that they had sitting sitting in the bank. Uh, they, so they wanted a uh, they wanted a cash in, mm. uh, and this bank looks and goes, well, actually, our balance sheet isn't as good as we thought it was because those bonds are not worth anywhere near as much as we paid for them. Yeah, and, and the thing that they... There's, uh, there's been, uh, Alf Piccadillo, I can't never pronounce your name properly, Alf, my apologies, and teach me the Italian one day. Uh, but his blog, the Macro Compass, went through the fact that most banks, when they buy... Uh, bonds which have a, a fixed coupon rate. So you pay a thousand, you know, you pay a thousand dollars per bond. Uh, it's got a, it gives you thirty bucks. Therefore, that's a three percent yield. Uh, when yields go down to uh, to one percent, the bond value increases, which yeah. they book as part of their asset rise, which increases their capacity to lend because their assets, you know, rise more than their liabilities in that case. So their equity increases. And they bought when they were high. I they mean, bought when they were high. And then, of course, when the government starts uh, trying to raise interest rates, both by setting the rate at the, you know, at the open FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, but also by in its in bond operations, then rather than buying bonds, selling bonds, so driving the price down. Uh, so what you had, the, the, the normal thing, which Alf explains quite well in, that, in the macro uh, compass, is that you will then you will do swaps where you'll swap for fixed for floating yep. and you hedge part of the risk and so on. Uh, now, this particular bank didn't do it. and Because they didn't have to. I mean, that was the, that was the thing. They didn't have to. Because they were at a stage. Below the $250 billion mark where you don't have that particular requirement. Because yeah. if you were over $250 billion in assets, then you'd have to to do bank stress tests uh-huh. and it would show up that they, they the value of their bonds had decreased and yeah. that they would need to invest more capital in the bank. So yeah. they did so they didn't do that because they didn't have to. And know, they so. didn't have to because they are they they lobbied and they, they and other activists in the finance sector lobbied 
to, to have the exemption for people below that level. Right. So this is a classic case. We want to evade regulation. Regulation really stuffs up what we do. And what, what, reg, what they managed to do was get themselves set up into a financial crisis, which so, is what regulations are supposed to be preventing. And yet, and, and I guess their hope was that, well, you know, bond yields will come back down again. They the prices will go back up and we'll, we'll be fine. Well, so long as nobody, there's a whole combination of factors that came together. So the decline in the asset, in the value of the bonds yeah. and decline in, well, not for them because they're a bank, but decline in the value of bonds means their assets are falling, their liabilities remain constant, so their equity has to fall. Yeah. So you, therefore you get a much, much higher level of gearing and that's what scares people and that's that contributed to the run. But at the same time, there are all sorts of tricks. And again, Alf does a great job of explaining this on Macro Compass where they can... And and so does Francis Coppola on her Coppola comment. Uh, they know a lot more about the internal dynamics of the banking sector than I do, so I'm happy to acknowledge them here. Mm. Uh, but they talk about there's two different types of accounts. One is effectively a, a mark to mark, um, uh, you know, ready for sale, uh, which is more volatile, uh, hold to maturity, which is less volatile. All these various tricks they'll do, and this bank didn't do them. No. So it was much more exposed. So no, the, yeah, because yeah. it was sitting with on its on its sheets, it basically on its balance sheet was the value of the of the bonds at the price they paid for them, yeah, irrespective yeah. of where the market had gone. Yeah. Uh, so no surprise then that when you look at, uh, I think it was actually it was Francis's note uh, earlier this month, the collapse of Silvergate, she highlighted mm. just the, the size of this. So Silvergate lost uh, $1 billion on the sale of assets in the Q4 last year. Silicon Valley lost $1.8 billion in U.S. Treasury bonds mm, because mm. they because they would do, they weren't holding up this this value. Yeah. Uh, so something's gone wrong there. I mean, well, it's, see, it's a, we, it's we, a combination we, of the fact. It, it, I mean, they they're not innocent in this. I mean, you, on the one side in, you could say innocent, but, they've they've taken yeah. the safest gamble because they've been buying Treasuries, oh. but they have not hedged. Yeah. But see, hedging doesn't get rid of systemic risk. Yeah. And this is where I'll, I'll dispute what Al was talking about. He's saying that they're foolish not to do it. What it meant well, was they, they someone, were... The, someone loses out. Well, they, they were the ones who put their heads on the yeah. guillotine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so everybody inches closer when you start... Every, you know, when, when Marie Antoinette starts saying, let them eat cake, uh, everybody inches closer. They're the ones who actually stood on the guillotine saying, chop me. So they, they were more volatile in that sense. But the fundamental cause comes back to the Fed having done a bad policy, kind of quantitative easing, with, with objectives it could not reach and therefore inflating asset markets. Now when inflation comes along again, which again caught them by surprise, got everybody surprised, including me, I've got to say, uh, but when that happens, they then reverse their policy and suddenly all they're now showing how exposed the entire financial sector has become yeah. to overvalued assets. And it's the and it's the speed at which it happened as well. Yeah. The fact that they bought so many of one duration at one one point in time because mm. they because they had grown so quickly. Always a concern in any industry. Yeah, growing too if fast. You, if you grow too fast, yeah. and particularly in finance. But to give an idea of the scale of all of this, then just I mean these are just uh, uh, yeah. I'm sure you'll have your own figures as well. But ten year Treasury yields were down to half a percent in mid 2020. Yeah. Got over four percent in early March this year, which is the highest they've been since uh, two thousand and ten. Yeah. Um, it's not the size of the yield, obviously. It's the difference that counts. And if you bought in twenty twenty when they were half a percent, when yields were low, you, you'd be paying a high price, obviously, yeah. for those bonds, and you'd be selling it now at a loss at a yield over four percent. So, let's just make some figures up. Say it was we just deal with a hundred percent and a yield of half a percent, then you get fifty dollars. Per coupon, per payment, per year yeah. for uh, for that payment, interest rates rise to four percent. 
uh, and you can get new $100 bonds paying $4 per year, but oh. you're stuck with these old ones, which you've got to sell. Yeah. So to get someone to buy them then base and pay $4 per month on yours, yeah. then you'd have to sell your $100 worth of bonds for $12.50. Yeah, that's, it's that that's huge. The size of it. And see, like when I, I did it, I mean, I did, on my uh, Substack and Patreon sites, I did a, a little very simple example of what's going on here using the concept of consoles, which have got a directly inverted inverse relation between the two. And I used the 3% rate of interest because if I if I tried the actual rate that we began like a half a percent, the, the, it was just, it slaughtered the value of the bond. So I didn't yeah. want to have anything quite that outrageous. So I just but it used, is that extreme. Actually, they didn't it, buy, it, most of them, I think they bought at 1% rather than half a percent, but yeah. they're still stuck with the case that they are four percent now, or yeah. they were. So it's an incredible capital loss. Yeah, and the only huge, huge capital loss because the Federal Reserve drove up the prices in the first place in a false belief about how that would stimulate lending. Yeah, and that's so. The, this this is this is how we pay for having neoclassical economists in charge of anything. And I think it, it, it's a, well, the takeaway I want people to get out of this is they're dangerous. Okay, it, it is having a bunch of fools running vital parts of a capitalist economy, using a model which has got no relevance to the system they're actually using, using a model in which they don't have banks or debt or money or time in a, in a genuine sense, difference equation, not differential equation, not, not genuine time. Of course they're going to stuff up. It's a question of which wall are we going to hit, not uh, you know, can we make it through the corridor. It's which wall do we exit through at high speed and smash our skulls. Get rid of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there is this attitude, isn't there? And, uh, you know, I've heard it in, in banking quarters, which, as you know, I do a podcast in, in, in that yeah. sector. Yeah. And the attitude does seem to be that, uh, you know, the, the, the Fed is going to ease off now uh, yeah. for a while. Uh, but there is this attitude of we just have to wait and see what breaks. We're, we're going <laughs> to break. We know we're going to break something. We just yeah. have to, you know, we'll ease off a bit just in case we break too much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, their argument is we're in uncharted waters. We've got to do what we've got to do. Mm. Uh, but we've got to be careful because we don't know what's going to break. Because yeah. we don't, in other words, we don't fully understand the system. Is what they don't saying. have any understanding of the system. Like, again, back to Bernanke getting a, the, the stupid prize in economics from, uh, from models of, of money creation in which banks don't create money and which banks aren't uh, loan initiators and which instead it's the intermediaries between lenders and savers. That's all nonsense. Mm. And so they they it, it shows the extent to which we're run by a, by a priesthood that has no bloody idea of how the real world operates. And this is the consequences of letting them run the system. Well, so Larry Summers, this is a bit disturbing, Larry Summers said over the, uh, over the weekend... And my favourite priest, yeah. Uh, in general, bank accounting doesn't fully capture so talking about this collapse yeah. in general bank accounting doesn't fully capture some of the risk associated with this pattern of borrowing short and lending long which is how they see what they're, they're creating but, short but it's nothing to do with lending anyway is it it's to do with assets which are being held in the bank if yeah. they had not lent a single cent They'd still be They'd in trouble. They'd still be in this problem. Exactly. So again, this this is what you get. People like Larry pontificate on things they don't understand, and therefore they'll pull out the you know the lending short borrowing you know borrowing short lending long type line because that's the only one they've got. Mm. Because in, in in their model of how banks operate, banks are maturity. Uh, I've forgotten the term they use. Uh, 
uh, you know, maturity manipulators, let's say, and, and intermediaries, blah blah blah. That's not what banks are. So if you if, if when when something goes wrong, it's the real world, and the real world doesn't care about your economic theories, and it you know blasts you sideways, and then their feeble attempts to understand it come back to their model because what people see is not the real world; they see their model of the real world, and their model is provably false. They're going to have no idea of what happens. They're going to continue smashing us into brick walls. Right. Well, we'll look at some numbers around uh, SVB and then look at uh, you know the risk of contagion in just a second when we come back. Mm. Uh, we are looking at the collapse of SVB. It's the the big story of the week, isn't it? In the uh, in the finance world, uh, have we seen the end of it? Uh, the UK seems to have got a sort of resolution. We'll look at that as well. Uh, we'll do all of that when we come back on the Debunking Economics podcast. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, we're looking at the uh, collapse of SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, which surprised many people, uh, a lot of people, because they've never even heard of the Silicon Valley Bank, but actually quite a sizable uh, institution. And uh, we talked about how part of the problem was the speed at which they'd grown and then yeah. therefore how they'd bought bonds very quickly at a, at a time which was a bad time to buy, basically, because, uh, you know, that, that value was only going to go down, wasn't mm. it, really? As when interest, you had interest rates at half a percent. Cent. Exactly. 0.25 at one stage. Yeah, you know, yeah. they can only go up. Yeah. And then, you know, if you see, and, and if you were seeing inflation, you knew that the central bank was going to react and they were going to push those interest rates up. But look... Yeah. SVB, uh, the total assets for 2021 were $211 billion. That itself was a 83% increase on the year before. Uh, in, so in, in 2020, the year before, they'd also seen a 63% increase from 2019. Mm. So, I mean, these, this is a phenomenal rate of growth. I yeah. mean, more, more, you know, basically, I think over a few years, they'd trebled, at least trebled. Mm. Uh, in size, and the idea was that they were going to be there helping, uh, you know, the the tech sector. Interestingly, wine as well. You look on the balance sheet; they've got yeah. a, lot, a lot of money in wine. Oh, well, there's, they, there's a liquid asset. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they had like a billion dollars of wine written down in their balance sheet. A physical wine? Well, I don't know. It's I just don't got think... a line entry that says wine. Uh, uh, you have premium wine I'd put down as an asset. Oh, Go my God. Them. I mean, okay, okay, that's an interesting <laughs> set of books. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that aside, uh, so cash on hand. So they had – so quarter ending last December, liabilities $195 billion, assets 
211 billion, so supposedly more assets than liabilities. Well, that's, that's essential. A bank, this is one thing people don't understand, and this includes the Austrians who drive me balmy on this particular point. Uh, a bank has to have positive financial assets. Its assets must exceed its liabilities. Otherwise, that's the definition of bankruptcy for a bank. And because they, they are, that is actually enforced. I mean, I'll come back to my favourite, one of my favourite anecdotes of all time was when Hank Paulson was head, was treasury, uh, a treasurer in the USA, called up by his successor. I think it was Morgan Stanley who was that, or Goldman Sachs, one of the vampire squids anyway. Uh, he said, you've got to do something. We're going to be bankrupt if this keeps up. And he said, how long have you got? And the answer was about three hours. Yeah. So when you have falling asset prices, and in this case, the, the bonds being the factor, but yeah, that can wipe them out in no time at all. Uh, that's So the, the thing which lets a bank lend is assets greater than liabilities. Assets can be volatile, they go down, that's what causes the, the crash. But the, the fundamental point is if the bank's in positive equity, financial assets, the rest of the world has to be negative equity mm. to the same level. Okay? So if banks are in positive equity and nobody else goes into negative equity, then the, the non-bank public is in negative equity and that causes us to do crazy things like speculate on asset prices. So, so those liabilities yeah. will be how much the bank owes what they've got in deposits. They've got to pay largely pay, deposits for a yeah, bank. Yeah, they've, got yeah. to, they've got to pay back to people. So that's a liability. Yeah. Those assets will be the money that people put in. Yeah. So a chunk of them are the same. If they haven't it's got the... reserves to match the, then they've got to sell the bonds. Because when, 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 you, when somebody takes money out of a bank, the bank reserves fall. And if they don't have those reserves on hand of their assets and bonds, they've got to sell the bonds. And when they sell the bonds, they realise the loss. They have to mark something they've been hiding because of the fall. And that's why it happens so quickly. So cash on hand, uh, $13 billion they had. Cash on hand, though, includes investments maturing in one year or less that oh, are dear. highly okay. liquid. So one year or less. So you Which can, again means bonds. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. They, so, so it's not a real value, value at all, is it no. really? Yeah. We're getting a lot of creative accounting here, and, then, and there's certainly some accusations about a large amount of that, and that's individual bank. But again, let's not see this as, an, as, as a uh, episodic thing. This is systemic. Mm. This is the impact of letting a bunch of, of university, they should have been dropouts, been better off if they had been university dropouts than graduates, uh, ending up in central banks, running it using economic theory, which is wrong. So, um, but the bank's got to take some blame as well. It here, has to take it? some blame, but we, you, know, you, you set up the circumstance, uh, you know, that you, 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 because this this is a game in which the rules are set by economists. Mm. Now, the rules don't make sense. Somebody's going to make a nonsensical decision and get screwed, and, and then we end up blaming them and saying, it's, "Hey, it's not just the individual. The game itself is stupid." So, the uh, UK branch of this bank, which was a, a separate company, has been uh, supposedly the government. Uh, sort of facilitated this, but it, but you know, I, I, I just would have thought this would have happened anyway. So HSBC mm. has swallowed them up. So okay. uh, so they would. I mean, HSBC, a massive bank, mm. uh, on their balance sheet, uh, they will have just said, well, uh, well, sure, you've got a bunch of customers. Mm. You're uh, on paper, maybe your assets and liabilities don't match up. Maybe you are trading insolvent because those bonds are worth less. Yeah, but we'll take them on, put them in the mix of all our other bond holdings. Mm. Uh, wait a few years. Uh, they'll they'll come good again. So from their point of view, um, uh, you know, they can carry it off. You mm. know, they're not mm. going to. It's not going to make them insolvent. They can absorb it into their massive balance sheet, mm. and they get a whole load of customers in the process. It's a so, win. They don't need much facilitation needed by the but government. Also, at all. a fair bit of arm twisting going on. I imagine too, by the government to by the government. To do yeah, it. yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, that's, that seems like a logical way out of it, though. Why Why in the US would they have not done it? Because it was just too big. No one would want to take him on board. Well, they, they the, tried and they couldn't get any takers. I mean, right. you've mm. got to sweeten the pill dramatically to, to get away with that. And they've got the capacity to sweeten the pill, but they, they have limits and just how ethical they think that might be. Mm. Uh, so they couldn't persuade anybody else to take it on, so it folded. So a lot of, a lot of the... I mean, it's the, it comes back to the whole question of deposit insurance and the way that it's treated. The way that people talk about deposit insurance is if you are investing in a bank when you put your money in a deposit account, that is not at all the mindset of people who put them. But they think it's a safe place for their money. Yeah. They don't think they're investing. So the idea that there's a quarter of a million dollar uh, limit. I mean, that's in, in some ways this is uh, normally I, I spend my time saying we're screwing the poor here and we should be uh, you know looking more at what we do for people who don't have massive amounts of wealth. But to put that quarter of a million limit in means anybody who's putting their money in a bank above that level faces the potential for capital loss. Yeah. And that therefore means, funnily enough, the runs that occur these days aren't the Mar and Pa kettles turning up. It's the it's the mega corporations. The owners of the mega, the mega rich are the ones who are going to lose their money. Well, yeah, but they're not going to put it in a bank right now, are they? They're well, going to take gonna it out. Fun. They're going to buy bonds because they're going to say, well, why, why would we put money, deposit money into a bank which is giving us... Uh, you know, a, a half percent or one percent interest. They're rate. better off buying the bonds, well, and they can sell four the bonds or five percent. Yeah, yeah, At, and that's that which is, means there's more reason there's going to be more runs on banks. So that's the next question about how yeah. much contagion are we going to see from all? Yeah, of this? we could see. Uh, this this is the the tricky bit. Of course, when 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 a bank goes bust, when its liabilities exceed its assets, then it can't meet all the claims it has on itself, and those claims for assets for other people. So you get the chain reaction effect, and that's what would be scaring. The, you know, the the turkeys and the well, I call them the turkey cookers in the Federal Reserve. But that that's what's going to be scaring them today and tomorrow. Uh, how far is this likely to cascade through? Who was on the other side in many of the trades with on on their assets uh, with uh, with this bank? So one, actually, one reason because it's not particularly hedged, there wouldn't be many on the other side who are going to lose mm. because they can't come through. But the so people, it, but the people who've got money in this bank, will ones in the money, they're, they're so, the ones worried about it. Yeah. So circle this time rather than the um, yeah. You know, and some of them are quite big swaps. numbers. So circle, which. Uh, is I, I I get so lost in the world of crypto. I have no interest in it. To me, it just seems uh, oh. inane. But anyway, uh, they facilitate crypto crypto payments. Um, they three point three billion they had in the bank. Roku, uh, which is a three point three billion billion. Okay, and two hundred and fifty thousand of that is covered. Yeah, that's, oh, that's right. Cool. So there's yeah. a bit of a loss there. Bit of a for, loss yeah, for yeah, a crypto yeah. business. Couldn't happen to a. a a, a better segment of the finance uh, industry, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, uh, Roku, uh, with streaming business, now we're down to just just half a million, uh, half a billion, sorry, four hundred eighty-seven million. Mm. Uh, and uh, BlockFi, which is a crypto exchange, two hundred twenty-seven million. Roblox, a gaming platform. I spoke to my son about that. Uh, he said if they went under, it wouldn't materially change the world. Mm. Uh, good, a good thing he seemed to think. 150 million. So I mean, there are a lot of victims in. in well, the all funny of this. thing is, to these victims, most of them are libertarians. Right. Okay. <laughs> and their attitudes. And this, actually, if you read so-called banking theory by Austrians, they'll talk about how what, what you need is to have people, uh, we need fr- private banking, and people will go out there and invest in a bank, and the bank fails, and that's not a good bank, and over time, we'll get rid of the bad, the bad banks will go, the responsible ones will survive, and it'll, it'll all be okay, and, 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 and there's a huge part of evolutionary learning by depositors losing their money by putting it in a bad bank, and that's a good thing, except when it happens to me, I'm Peter Thiel, I want my money bank, Where's 
where's the where's the government insurance? What do you mean there's no government insurance in a libertarian economy? Blah 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 blah. Yeah, ha, yeah. Tough well, shit. They have to live with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you remember when uh, they, they, they won't? Of course, they will get the insurance. They will get covered. They, they, they won't get. They won't raise the insurance level, but they do their damn best to try to make sure that people don't lose large amounts of money. So quasi Quartang, when he was uh, for Tang for Tango Le Biscuit when he was the uh, tre- <laughs> no, I got so in we've trouble. Done it doing again. That. We're in trouble. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, when he was the treasurer in the UK or the Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, the UK gilts felt fell so much in value. Remember the, the, oh, yeah, the interest yeah. rates but, shot up that the Bank of England had to step in because there were pension funds that were going were bankrupt. Going bankrupt because they had collateral sitting in these bonds. Again, because it was the safe bet. Yep, yep. Bonds went down in value. There was a, a call for those yeah. pension funds. They couldn't afford to pay out their mm. uh, what they had to pay in pension payments because the value of their collateral had gone down so much. So the Bank of England stepped in and went back to QE for, and that's for a few what, weeks. This, I mean, I, I, I hate to quote myself from 12 but years ago. But they did that just so they did that because they wanted to push the value of those bonds back up, back up again. So yeah. the interest rates went down so those pension funds could sell them off at a better price yep. so that they weren't making the loss. That yeah. was the that was the so that didn't happen this time. Though. Well the thing is the push interest rates too high yeah. to do that so easily. And you've now got like you're looking at rates at four percent when they were, you know, zero point two five percent at the, at the absolute bottom. Uh, that's you, you you can't close that gap. As you said, your numerical example earlier. Yeah, no, it's huge. It's yeah. gigantic. Yeah. So, and to go back to my original comment on QE way back when Bernanke began, I think in 2012 or something, I called it a pack with the devil. Mm. Okay, you've signed on a line with Mephistopheles. And you want to you want to change the terms of the contract? Oh, that's going to be fun. So now the, the, because they did QE to try to drive inflation up. Let's not forget that was a major objective. They were trying to get inflation back up to two percent. Then they accepted rates which were down at below below half a percent for bonds, which had never happened in history, and that also inflated share market values. And then now what they've got is the financial sector. The banks of you know on the precipice in terms of the value of bonds, which is what they've got to have. The non-bank, the the merchant banker bankers, they've got all the shares. They're also so we have an incredible incredibly fragile financial system. And the, the, the primary role, and they've forgotten this completely, the primary role of a central bank is supposed to maintain the integrity of the payment system. Look what they've done. Yeah. And will more follow? Well, I mean, they, I guess they would argue, well, we stress test. So the bigger banks... Uh, they're not stress testing, they're stress causing. Yeah. This is the hilarious But, but they thing. would say we stress test, so we've looked at... I don't know how far they've looked at. Have they looked at a 5%, 6%, 7% interest rate and what that would mean for people who bought bonds at 1%? But, I mean, supposedly they put put the bigger banks through these stress tests so they look <clears> at the value of their assets and see what the real value of their, mm. their, their assets is, the, uh, well, I just the, simply, the market I mean, rates for those. When, when you see what stre- stress testing often seems being put an exogenous shock into a mathematical model, it'll be a dynamic stochastic general equilibrium model, and then out of that you'll imply the impact that has on on bond values and so on, but you don't actually have the bank banking system as part of your actual model. Mm. So a, a lot of this stuff, when they talk about you know stress testing a bank, it's often applying an economic model that doesn't have banking as part of it to say what's going to happen to the value of bonds blah, 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 and they don't actually have it inside their model. That's why I built that very simple Minsky model to show, you know, a high rise in interest rates if you had um, uh, mark-to-market values of bonds could send the entire financial sector 
into negative equity, which is simply impossible. So if you don't have models that tell you that, and I know they don't have those models because I built the only system in the world that enables you that, that's Minsky. Uh, I just know they don't use anything like that. If they, they certainly had their systems inside the bank at some point. Probably somebody who's very low status, probably done it with a spreadsheet. Maybe they've got a Python expression somewhere, but it's not an integral part of their macro models. And they, what, they're, what they're driven by, their macro models and their theories about expected inflation causing actual inflation. And, and that's what they're actually focusing on. And this has basically hit them from the side because what should be their prime responsibility is not something they're intellectually trained to handle. But they would be surely trained to handle uh, a situation where they know what they're, what they're holding in terms of government bonds or their assets generally and having a fair understanding of what the market value is and whether they are trading insolvent or not based they, on they that. Don't under, they, unless you have, in an integral sense, the financial sector, banks, debt and money as part of your mathematical model of the economy, you're going to be blindsided. Now, there'll be people inside, I'm, I'm sure there'll be people inside the Federal Reserve be desperately worried about what they could see happening. They'd probably be the people who get shunned at, at, at the coffee clutches. Okay, they'd be the ones who've got a practical experience inside the banking. They'd be scared shitless over the situation that's being caused by going to such low interest rates and now going back to high interest rates again. So there would be people inside who are worried, but they would have been sidelined. Now they'll be the ones who be getting tapped on the shoulder. Excuse me, Jack, you argument you made about the valuation of bonds and how that could affect. Can you come and have a chat to the, the so chairman? You don't he'd, think... he'd like to hear so, your, your views so for a change. So it's sad, do you reckon? So it's because it sounds like Silicon Valley Bank, they. they they bought a whole load of bonds mm. at a particular price. They mm. they knew that the value of those bonds was going down, but because they didn't have to, um, you know, market the market, and this is with the creative account, which they're allowed to do by the Federal Reserve, which again is a so sign they of, do, and they just go, well, we'll make it through because in a few years, maybe even this year, the Fed will start bringing those interest there rates was an down again. Of falling rates, yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's yeah. like they will peak and will they'll avoid recession because they'll they bring were, those the, rates down again, again at incredibly low levels on historical standards. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But I mean, that was the hope, wasn't it? So they were hoping, obviously, hoping opium. Hope. Here's a really good drug. <laughs> yeah, well, they were on hopium, mm-hmm. and they were, which was telling them that it was all going to be over in a year, and if they could just make it through, and they're not going to have a big call because they are a growing bank, and yeah. you know, they're, they're taking money in rather than passing it out. And they're so it's making all, it's loans all... into really sensible businesses like wine production in uh, Napa Valley and so on, yeah. So yeah. they knew, exactly, and then having wine deposits uh, they, as their liquid assets. So they knew, uh, and that maybe that was going down because they were drinking all that fun I, wine. I, I really have to... <laughs> <laughs> we need to you know, it does a... not compute in terms of the restrictions banks have in the assets they can purchase, yeah, so but anyway. Well, maybe it was, uh, yeah, who yeah. knows? Yeah, because it doesn't, because it's got to be a, it's it's got to be basically the equivalent of cash on hand, isn't it? That definition I gave, which is mm, like mm. within one... Strangely, within one year, it should really be within one day, shouldn't it? <laughs> or within one hour. But anyway, which is what was needed. But, I mean, you can't tell me. they. It, first of all, that they didn't know what was happening. And secondly, in a bigger bank where they did have to follow, you know, the letter yeah. of the law, they would know the value of their, the market value of all their assets as they currently stand. So they would know if they oh, were yeah, people, trading insolvent. Yeah, but again, so, you know, it's a so question they, of, this thing couldn't happen to a bigger bank because they would know this. Wouldn't well, they? it did happen to a bigger bank back in two thousand and eight. You know, we, I mean, mainly the merchant banks that copped right, it. Because, the, because they got the value of the assets wrong, because they were... Well, they uh, were inflating were, the assets. They, they, they don't realise a positive feedback loop between increasing levels of, of credit used to buy stocks and bonds yeah. and, and the value of the bonds themselves. But they were mortgage-backed securities, weren't they, were, were, the, the, which were the dead values of the mortgages, whereas you know what the value of government bonds is. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have a more accurate read of where your current situation that's, is. Yeah, yeah. 
but but then again, you know, as you buy them, you you know you just get to the stage where your your balance sheet is infected by government bonds, mm. which shouldn't be an infection at all. But no. that's the way they got turned. Well, it's supposed by... to be the safest thing ever, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. okay. So I guess a closing question is: Where do we? What, you know, what happens out of all of this? Because it seems like now, bonds are as volatile as shares. You know, yeah. the lowest risk. Uh, financial financial instrument you can invest in is now just as risky as investing in the share market. Mm. And as we've said earlier, brought about by the actions of, of central banks. And so they're that, fighting inflation with a tool that doesn't fight inflation. Yeah, Again, so, I'd recommend another one of my colleagues, Blair Fix, mm. for his posts on how you know, inflation can drive interest rates up or down, but interest rates don't affect inflation. It's the causal mechanism goes in the, the opposite direction to what the neoclassical models are. So there's the question then. So at, at 4 or 5%, we've had this bank taken out. Yeah. Uh, if interest rates get up to 8 9 10%. The banking system is cactus. And we this show you first of all interest rates don't control inflation. You know, what caused the collapse last time in inflation was rates that caused the economy to collapse and broke the back of the trade union movement. There is no trade union movement to break anymore, so you can't drive wage costs down any further. In fact, you know, given how much workers have been screwed by the inflation increase, it's likely to be a source of inflation. You're not going to stop it with interest rates. Um, so it has to be you know, government policy. The, the, the sort of stuff I was involved in back in the Australian, when I was in Australia, in the prices and accords uh, uh, policies in the 80s, even though they were used for the wrong purpose, the idea was to get agreements mm. uh, about the distribution of income. And that's fundamentally what inflation is all about. Now, uh, if, you, if you worked in that tack, you might be able to take off the pressure we've seen for rising prices from rising markups. Okay. That's really been that, yeah. that plus cost of production, not wages. Yeah, okay. opportunism so, on the so part of producers. It, 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 could, again, it's yeah. using a wrong model. Mm. And wow, guess what? A wrong model doesn't tell you which way to turn. Right. So it's a, using the wrong model. I'll keep on putting interest rates up. So next week, the Fed meets. So it's the next FOMC meeting. That should be fun. Yeah. Okay, I well, I mean, the market one. was already for a 50, 50 basis point increase next yeah. week. Now they're saying, oh, it'll probably only be 25. Uh, but they're still pushing ahead. Yeah, well... Fun times ahead. <laughs> Sell your bank shares. Uh, mm. Of course, you know, if we say stuff like that, we, I think we have to say... Uh, Not consult, financial advice. Okay, see, see, yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, <laughs> see your financial advisor. But uh, on the face of it... Mm. Uh, anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll catch you again next week. Good okay, one, Steve. Yeah. Thanks. The Debunking Economics Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.